anytime there's stress, there's fear underlying. We have five primary senses and thought was one of it's the sixth sense. What we've done is elevated thought to the highest thing and everything else, sensing and feeling and perceiving, has basically been chucked out the window. Right? They just want to know, what do you think? You can never outthink your problem. You've got to disconnect and disassociate and rewind and recap. People come to me and say, help me get rid of my problems. It's not what I do. Because the mind is designed to create problems. So if I solve your problem, you're going to come with another problem. It doesn't stop. So ending a problem is not the, the, the gateway to calm and peace. It's recognizing what's going on. Hi everyone, my name is Tom, and today we have my guest Richard Ahmed. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Yeah, perfectly actually. Yeah. Awesome. So this is Love Your Stress podcast, and as usual, we start with um, one of the first questions I usually ask is, Rashad, how do you, what do you understand by stress? What's stress in your, uh, in your own words? The definition. Um. Okay, so for me, stress is a term, and all terms have multiple meanings depending on who you ask, how you ask. So if you ask me what stress is, I don't have a specific um, uh, word or definition for it, but I could tell you in, in the client uh, configuration, if someone says I'm stressed, it means that something is not in balance within themselves and there's some type of imbalance uh, within themselves uh, so it, it's 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 it, it something that is being put under stress means that something that is being pushed more than what it's used to being pushed and i think that's a not a bad thing i think it's a wonderful thing to push any organism any human being any animal anything to put it under under a stressful situation the modern day uh, version of what causes stre stress out of control, and that's what me and you work with, is that it's out of control. There's no longer beneficial. Now it's become detrimental because the stress burden is overwhelming and it's no longer strengthening the organism. Anything in nature that is put under measure measured stress is very good for it. One of the problems that we have in modern day society is not enough stress, actually but it's the right type of stress that we need instead of the wrong type of stress. So in a short uh, description. I really loved how you mentioned a couple of moments here of uh, a good stress, bad stress, uh, right amount of stress, uh, not enough stress, because these are kind of a common things and common themes um, in general that uh, people are kind of uh, shying away from or not understanding. And um, just before recording, you mentioned that uh, there's so many things that makes us stressed and it's kind of a, that almost makes no sense to talk about specific stressors. And I would, would love to ask you about, uh, would you like to explain more about this in this sense? Yeah, so for me as a coach and something you do as well is that you're going to look at the individual in the environment, you're gonna look at the person in himself and, and herself in his or her environment, not in isolation. So you say, I'm stressed because of homework. Now you've got to look at what individual is stressed and what's causing that reaction. Because for me, anytime there's stress, there's fear underlying in, in an emotional context. Of course, stress in the physical organism doesn't require emotional component, but the, the, the stress is the factor that we place of, uh, on a specific emotional thing that we're trying to achieve. So in other words, I can't do my homework, like my daughter would say, I'm stressed. What she's saying is that I'm afraid that I won't succeed. So we don't address the stress uh, as the symptom. We address the underlying cause, which is the, the homework and why she's perceiving that as something that is good or bad and, and why she needs to get that done or why she believes she can't do that effectively. So it, it is the wider human being that we, we, we look at. And, and just like you have stress, you have fear, you have doubt, you have guilt, you have shame, you have resentment, you have so many different emotional outbursts of the person in the environment and the relationship is the most crucial thing. The relationships they're in, the upbringing, the spouses, the parenting, uh, all the rest of it. So my view, the, the, the Western modern um, 
you could say a pharmaceutical view is to isolate the problem. And this is what causes more problems. Because you, in, in, in Eastern thinking and the ancient thinking is that the organism is entirely composed of its environment. So your, your environment is a huge factor to play. Acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, uh, we could take it to all these different realms. They look at the organism in the environment. The stress is simply a manifestation of something on a much wider uh, level that needs to be put into alignment. So stress is a very good thing because it's showing you something's out of alignment. So you never want to get rid of the stress. And it's the same way with me Western medicine. If you've got an ache or a pain, they give you a painkiller or they give you an antibiotic, not recognizing that the body is displaying certain symptoms so that you can go treat the overlying condition. You don't go and treat the isolated symptom because that's going to come back. The stress is going to come back. The pain is going to come back because that's its job. And it's not evil. It's saying, hey, hey, look deeper. It's not saying, hey, cut the finger off. It's saying, look at the hand and look at the body, right? I'm sure you agree with that. 100%. I love how you went straight to the stress being as a symptom instead of the root cause or something bad. Yeah. And I really resonate with how you said um, the stress is uh, manifested by emotions, like observ observable um, uh, symptom would be emotions. And the topic of our, about alignment. And I'm curious, what else can you, how do you, how do you define alignment? What do you mean by alignment? Uh, alignment is putting into balance. Um, if you look at it from, again, from a, a medicine perspective, which is directly related, there, there is no, there's no separation from the organism from your spiritual state your emotional state for your physical state there is no in, in my in my world in what i do i will never look at an individual on an emotional context only because you're just missing the point so it's the whole situation and that's what i like to work with so when we talk about imbalance in in, in ayurveda or in other practices you have the different elements right you have earth wind fire water right or air i know one of them is air so it's earth wind wind is air fire water and if these are out of balance then your alignment is out so in ayurveda you have the doshas and in 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 different different type of practices you have always the the organism fitting into alignment so if if, if you're having a diet that is suited to uh, a warm climate for instance i remember they were saying that in the UK, so many of the people from the Indian subcontinents came over to Europe, Western Europe, where it's very cold, and they didn't change their diets. So now you'd look at it as a doctor and say, oh, right, you've got stomach ache, let me give you an ulcer tablet, or let me give you a digestive pill. But what they're not recognizing is that the, the spice cools the body down in the warm climates, in the subcontinents. Now you bring that same organism over to uh, the UK or the, the, the colder climates, you can't be eating that same spice, right? Because now your body is cooling down too quickly. And there was a high rate of diabetes. It's just one of these um, theories that was going around. And to me, it makes sense. So you, so you change the diet to suit the environment and the organism because they sort of each feed each other. So, so alignment is, it's all sides. And if you look at it from heart-brain coherence, which I talk a lot about, is that your heart being aligned with your brain. So a lot of us have random thoughts and you talk about overthinking, right? But the idea is to not to control the thoughts, is to allow the thoughts to sort of subside and watch them. But we have put in the Western thinking, the brain as the orchestrator and the general of the human situation, when the ancients, including Aristotle, knew that the heart, you could say the body-mind, is what actually leads the charge. And the brain is used as a secondary mechanism to, 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 to guide, to navigate, to understand. But it's not, it's not how you perceive life. You don't feel life through thought. You understand life through thought if you want to. But, um, and so, so that's, that's part of the, the thing as well. And getting, again, you look at the chakras and energy centers in the body. You have different energy centers in the body. They need to be aligned. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, every single 
This, there are systems, there are uh, uh, patterns, there are observable and unobservable patterns. And for instance, the Chinese, uh, ancient Chinese, not the modern day Chinese, which they basically it's a religion of capitalism, but the ancient uh, Chinese talk about the Tao, for instance, and, and the great alignment uh, with everything and everyone. And there were, there were masters that cold foods, hot foods, you know, different type of climates and, and all the rest of it. And one of these books that talk about uh, how to read the signs of nature. So they were saying, I was just reading this while there was this massive floods and hurricanes in the US. And they said, when there is much oppression of the people by the leadership, you will find cyclones and storms. And it was just happening all over the US. And I said, wow, you know, look at the correlation of, of this type of thing. And it doesn't go. And they say, when the people are not uh, paid well for their work, then you have locusts uh, as a swarm and then killing all the crops off. And so this whole sort of balance with leadership and people and yeah, alignment is a very broad, even the earth and the planets. And it, we could talk, just choose a topic and we can talk endlessly about that. But in the emotional context uh, that we're speaking about here uh, specifically, it's uh, yeah, it's inner alignment and, and, and coming from a, a sense of clarity and uh, uh, intuition and uh, inner knowing rather than leading with thought, which then leads to stress, which is a, a not a real thing, but it is the, when I say not a real thing, because it's an emotional response, it's a thought that creates a feeling, which creates an emotion, but it causes a reaction. And it works the other way around. You can have a feeling that causes a thought. And so you're back to front and you're in a spiral. But if there was no thought, then it wouldn't be this continuation. You see it in the animal kingdom, they get hurt and there's pain, but there's no stress. They're in pain. They don't get stressed because there's no additional thought component to it. I feel stressed now. I really love how you <laughs> expanded so many angles, how to look at alignment from so mm -hmm. many traditions and even went to some uh, quite uh, untraditional uh, examples, uh, how you can have correlations between events uh, in a human psyche and events in nature, like cyclones. Um, and what I was most curious about uh, of it all was uh, one of the things is when you work with a specific uh, person, uh, do you explain these um, ideas, theories, uh, to them, like how to get back to alignment? Do you choose a specific angle to approach? Or how does it work for you? Uh, yes, it depends what who I'm dealing with and what their level of uh, interest and knowledge is. Uh, mm. Mine is very far and wide reaching, so I will speak at that language. I'm not gonna tell them about the great Tao if they're uh, uh, leaders who are trying to deal with the report they need to write. I'll just talk about it in that particular context. but. Yeah, it, it just it, it, you, you tailor it according to the uh, specific uh, person that needs it. Another thing I was thinking about, uh, I think the most um, grounded way of uh, looking at uh, alignment uh, without looking to the ancient uh, traditions is uh, the one that you mentioned is about heart and mind and how the, um, because we all have heart, we all have mind, we we can relate to that quite easily, heart being center of emotions and mind of thoughts. Uh, and I really love how you mentioned that um, idea that uh, there's this kind of a chicken and egg problem. Uh, you have something that stresses you and then mind keeps uh, spinning the wheel. And I would love for you to expand deeper in the subject. Uh, how do you see, the, see it? Uh, so, yeah, it's you just don't know what started what. Even when it comes to diagnosis from a psychological perspective or from if we look at Freudian or Jungian or uh, Adlerian psychology, if we look at psychology on its whole, it's like, okay, well, where did it start? And let's go and then examine it there. But as you engage logical, rational thought, there is always, a, but maybe it didn't start there. And uh, there's a wonderful book, it's called It Didn't Start With You, interestingly enough. And this talks about how you inherit certain patterns. So now you don't know why, but I'm sitting there crying because I think I'm going to lose my job. But you have a fantastic job and your boss thinks you're the hottest thing since sliced bread. But there you are obsessed about losing your job. And now where do you start? So, so where do you go and diagnose that? You don't. Um, and so, yeah, one feeds the other. And so you can never um, outthink 
your problem. You can never outthink your situation. You've got to disconnect and disassociate and rewind and recap. So yeah, the, 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 the body, it's all internal feedback mechanisms. Um, the, what the ancients, again, talk about the ancients again, because that's my entire sort of uh, guiding principle is not really, oh, look, I love modern day um, psychology and knowledge and, and, I, and I like it very much, but I use the, the ancients as a guiding principle because I believe they somehow, they didn't have Instagram and Facebook and YouTube uh, and they had a lot and they didn't have to pay bills and mortgages as much as we do today. And even the, the school, the, the scholarly, uh, it, it was it was uh, it was something that was, in order to be a scholar, you need to, needed to be uh, able to sustain yourself and not have to work. If you look at what scholarship today is, is about making money, right? But in the in 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 the, in the days before, that's why they said you're a scholar and a gentleman. Have you heard that expression, a scholar and a gentleman? So wow. it's an in English expression. What does a scholar got to do with a gentleman? They don't seem to align. But in order for you to be a scholar, you had this time to be a gentleman or you know, a woman who you had all this time to research unimportant, insignificant topics. Not, okay, I need to learn this so that I can get a job and I can advance my career and all the rest of it. So uh, scholarliness is no longer a scholarliness. But either way, yeah, I mean, uh, what feeds one feeds the other thoughts or emotions uh, i don't think the point is to catch one or the other and i don't think the whole problem is to solve a problem the whole situation we have is that people come to me and say help me get rid of my problems it's not what i do because the mind is designed to create problems so if i solve your problem you're going to come with another problem it doesn't stop so Ending a problem is not the, the, the gateway to calm and peace. It's recognizing what's going on. So it's, it's this awareness uh, above and beyond what seems to be an uh, impossible problem to solve. So before you uh, spoke, you mentioned this thing about uh, if you stop the mind, uh, you stop the feedback loop. Uh, and sometimes you have to hear this uh, idea that uh, meditation is all about stopping thoughts uh, and basically silence. I would love to, for you to explain uh, how do you see this, uh, this view? Well, the word meditation comes from the Greek word to become familiar with. That means it's to become very familiar with yourself. There's nothing to do with shutting up or silencing or stilling or any of the rest of it. So again, it goes back to what I said uh, towards the end of the last conversation is that become familiar with the mind being a problem creating machine. So it's not the, it's not the um, uh, abandonment. What people do is they go listen to music and phone their friends and then they feel a lot better and have a drink and uh, distract themselves. And, but the problem doesn't go, right? Because that mind's going to come back to it. So yeah, meditation, if you want to call it that, I don't believe in the, I mean, in the ritual sense, but by all means, if it means you can sit for seven minutes and just observe your thoughts, your feeling, it goes beyond the thoughts, right? Because it's your thoughts, your feelings, your sensations, your perceptions and images in your mind, all of these together form everything in your environment. It's, it's, it's all the, the, you could say, the, the, the haptic feedback or the feedback that you're getting from your sensory world, from, from everything, tactile uh, uh, receptors. And, and, and the, the Vedas um, in the ancient Upanishads talked about that uh, thought was one of the senses. So we have five primary senses and thought was one of it's the sixth sense, right? Uh, so what we've done is elevated thought to the highest thing and everything else, sensing and feeling and perceiving, has basically been chucked out the window. Right? They just want to know, even our conversation, we say, what do you think? Nobody's going to say, what do you feel? What do you perceive? What do you smell? In, in some cultures, the whole thing's done by smell. They'd smell you and say, oh, I don't like you. Or, you know, oh, wow, he sounds, he smells good, right? But you know, smelling good is in the de deodorant sense. They're smelling, because your nose, it can smell over a billion different uh, uh, micro uh, um, senses, smells, if you want to call it that. But yeah, and so, so it was, a, we've elevate, elevated it too high. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, meditation does not mean uh, for my context to still the mind. 
So you say it's um, not to steal the mind. I really loved how you um, brought back the mind to the as a sense, basically as a sense perception. Would you also say the feelings and emotions are along the same lines? Yes, yes, of course. Uh, remember, the, the mind and thoughts are not the same thing, right? Um, the, it, it, till today, nobody has ever opened up a brain and found a thought, right? So, so if brain, if thoughts are from the brain, then why can't we see them? And the same way with the heart being the feelings, right? It's just an assumption that we've made. In fact, it, 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 thoughts, feelings, and perceptions are not even in us. We are, in as far as my awareness and my research is concerned, we are almost like antennas, receptive. So you could say the brain is picking up frequencies of thoughts, and our eyes are picking up frequencies of images, and our ears are picking up frequencies of sound, and our hearts. In fact, memory, as has been proven by um, uh, the Japanese scientist uh, uh, Masoro Emoto, that our memories are stored in water and the heart is the receptor that receives the memory so if you want to recall a memory and i do this with my clients it's amazing you can't remember something don't use your brain quieten down your brain tune into your heart and i have like a 90 percent success rate people say i mean people that try it and they say i remembered because it's the heart that senses it and it's all water actually so the mind and the brain and all these terms that we've used but for the sake of um, knowing what we're talking about, I can, I can understand uh, why we say that. So if you remove from the person, from the awareness, right, in a, in a meditation, in a moment of observation, if you remove your thoughts and you remove your feelings and you remove your sensations, which are your feelings, you remove your perceptions, whatever that you perceive, and you remove images, then what are you left with? There is absolutely nothing for you to detect the world with. What else is left? So now, what are you at this particular moment? Now, if you bring the thoughts back last, bring the feelings back, bring the images back, bring the perceptions back, you can now see all these layers starting to come together. But thought is just one of those little sensory mechanisms and thought is very useful, very powerful uh, evolution. That is a recent evolution. Uh, our new neocortex and the homo sapien development is a, a recent um, development. It's not, um, it's not something ancient, thought and thinking. Feeling and perception and sensing is ancient. You can look at it even from, uh, from other animals. I've heard this um, idea before that thought th th is a quite new thing. And do you think that's one of the reasons why it's so overused these days? Mm, good, good question. Why it's overused? Um, there is, there's so many reasons that I could speculate, but obviously I don't have a definite answer of why it overloads. But one thing that I will tell you that I know for certain in my life and those that I speak to, we overthink because we don't trust in life. Thoughts are being used as a way to compensate for the lack of trust we have in ourselves and for in our environment and for our situation. Because if you were absolutely certain, I'm going to walk from here to there, would you need to think about it? No. You'd be like, I'm going over there, right? It wouldn't be, oh, but why are you going over there? you wouldn't in, need to engage the thought mind into this thing. You wouldn't need an internal dialogue, right? Because that's what it is. But when you're not sure, you say, well, if I walk over there, then what happens if that happens? And what happens if this happens? And that, and that. So that's why we're engaging in thought because we don't trust in life. Because using the faculty of rational thinking is wonderful. If I want to go over there, should I take the left part or the right part? Okay, I'll go left or go right. So it's the, the overthinking is the typical symptom of not being able to trust in yourself and in life. And that's not anybody's fault because we're a society that doesn't trust. We don't trust ourselves. We're not taught to trust. in. So, you know, one of the great psychologists, again, I quote modern people as well, Eric Fromm, who I love very much. And he says, when man lost connection to nature, he now no longer knew himself. 
of course, man being in the plural sense of women as well, or anything else you want to call for that matter. But it's when the human lost connection to nature, to the trees, to the stars, to the planets, to the, to the, to the atmosphere, to the everything that we are, now you're faced with this foreign thing, this uh, building and this uh, internet and the Facebook and the uh, social media connections. And you don't know what's going on here. So you need to engage thought. But in nature, taking a walk in the forest or catching a fish or planting a tree, would they need to be overthinking? No. So it's the context. Again, the environment plays a big part in that. So yeah, it's a good good question, but I don't know the exact answer. But we we not not everybody does overthink as well. But as a as a rule, uh, yeah, Western um, orientated thinking or, or, or processes are very much or people do think too much. Have you noticed different uh, patterns of using mind between the different cultures? You mentioned before the example about some cultures focusing lots on smell and different senses. Have you seen also the biggest contrasts uh, between using the mind between different cultures? Right now, when we say mind, do you mean thoughts? Thoughts, yes. Yeah. So uh, the way we see the world and uh, perceive the world is different to the way we understand the world, right? Because can you know the world without understanding the world? You can. Yes. Right? So, so, so you see a flower. There's nothing for you to understand. What is that? That's a flower. How is it? Nice. But do we need to understand that? No. So, so to know your environment and know your world, you don't, you don't need thought. So if you talk about East and West, yes, is a very prime example of something that I, uh, because I have a great affinity, my company is called Zen Coach because I focus a lot on the teachings of Japan and, and, and Zen and um, Bushido and uh, all the other types of schools of, of, of Japanese culture, not just Japanese, but the Eastern um, uh, side of thinking. So for Japanese, their awareness is located in their stomach, in three centimeters below the belly button. And in the Chinese as well, that's called the Dantian. And in the Japanese, it's called the Hara. To them, that's the seat of existence and the cosmic consciousness. That's where their entire being resides. So, so they, that's where they engage with life with. In the West, it's here. So in the East, you could say in, in, in China and Japan, it's here. And this area is called the Hara. Right? Now, the Japanese, it's actually not recommended that you have a thin belly. It means that you have a weak hara. So in the West, we like six packs and absolute emptiness and skinniness. In fact, Japanese grooms, before they get married, they go and put on some weight so that the woman wouldn't think that they're not, they're not strong. So the whole and the, the belly then grounds you to your legs, which grounds you to the earth. And for them to be centered, it means to be grounded. From your from your belly downwards. So in English, we know you say, "Oh, he lost his head." In Japan, the expression is, "He lost his hara," because they don't the, the the hell. So so even our breathing, the, the the Eastern breathing is to breathe in and out through your belly. The Western breathing is the shallow, which then is all it's all going up here. It's just all here. Whereas the Japanese is, we look at the language, right? Look at the Japanese language, like, "Hey," you know, you say. They don't, and they say, if a man talks from his throat, you can't trust him. But if he talks from his hara, you can. So a Japanese went, for him to stand in a dignified position is like this. You see, and, and they show Western photography of politicians and they got one leg like this and they're posing. The Japanese people don't ever get caught dead standing like that. That means you're off balance. And anytime you could get pushed over, which means literally, that if you're not grounded to the earth, any thought that comes to you get pushed over. So they, it's about centering your awareness in your hara. And that's why if you know about the samurai, they take the sword and the harakiri, which is the killing, the committing, the suicide by the hara, by, by, by killing your lifeblood here, which is here, right? Not in the heart, right? And so the whole awareness and the sensing of life and the knowing of life, and then they use thought very effectively, but they don't lead with it. They lead with the hara. 
I'm curious so because I've heard the idea a couple of times, like the stomach being a second brain, mm. and you said lead with the hara. Is there any sense or anything? How, how do you feel? How do you follow that guidance? Like, well, I'm doing, of course, an intuition, and that's what I teach a lot of. So it's another good question. There are senses in the body and they're centers of awareness and they each give us feedback. You could say we're like created from the ground up in a way. So then you have our root chakra and that's your sexual organs and where your base of your spine is and where your pelvic floor is. And that also has a brain in it. You know, when you find major attractions, male or female, it's like he didn't use his head, right? Because she got pregnant or he got, you know, got her. Of course, because that thing takes over, right? So it does have a brain and it can act independently. And then you have your belly, which is your seat of power, right? And that sense, now the belly is a big thing because you have um, your gut bacteria, you have your life force, it's all contained within there. And then you get feedback from that as well. And then it goes up to your heart, your throat, um, your third eye, which is not even really talked about anymore, but it's a huge part you know, on the top of your head, and then this field of energy where everything is sort of being downloaded, that you're participating with all these receptacle organs in you from your field. Now, you can call it the aura or the auric field, but you are simply a receptor, an antenna in this environment. And if the antennas are not tuned in, because thoughts are not bad, feelings are not bad, and sensations are not bad. Not even sexual feelings are bad. Nothing bad about any of it, right? But then it's what you do with it that ends up, um, you know, destroying you or can destroy you. So tuning into that, the reason why I researched it with the Japanese is to learn how to, how to live through intuition and how to intuit because our over-reliance on thought makes us very uneasy in life and very off balance. And so the whole point is how to ground ourselves. And as we know, connected to the um, belly is the vagus nerve, which runs all up our spine. And so the whole point is to tune in and then there's a whole process of um, unwinding the different layers of thoughts and feelings and perceptions to start, start tuning in this listening sensory organ in our bellies, in our hearts and in our third eye to start getting actual feedback of what do you want, what, what are they, I mean, we don't know what the other is. I mean, you look at somebody and you're judging them based on what you know before, right? You're like, okay, he's got this proportion. He speaks like this. He's from here. And that's all mine. Now, if you meet someone from an ancient village, they won't be able to do that because they're not, they're not really interested in that type of thing. They're intuiting. They'll say, he's a good man. You're like, what do you mean? Right? But they know, right? Or, you know, he's a bad man. I don't know if you've seen Apocalypto, that movie with Mel Gibson, or directed by Mel Gibson. Have you seen it? Apocalypto. Not yet. Not yet. It's a really good, it's a really crude movie, but a lot to learn in that. So, um, yeah, the intuiting and sensing is a very um, useful thing, especially in today's world where over-reliance on thought. Mm. I love how you mentioned that uh, over-reliance, like uh, tying together so many factors uh, in this uh, kind of small uh, question, going through a chakra system in, uh, indirectly. Uh, and I had this uh, curiosity. Do you see mind and gut uh, on heart in the chakra system? Because in chakra system, you have a third eye and, uh, and root chakra, no, not crown chakra. Crown. Yeah. Like how do you uh, relate to the brain? in a Western, uh, Western uh, perspective? Well, you, you can't because according to the ancient yogis, the, the mind was not in the brain. Mm. Mind is not the brain. So uh, yeah, it is this field of awareness and sensing. So our thoughts and our feelings and sensations don't come from specific. And again, that's the Western uh, medical terminology, right? You have to locate it. Like I said today, uh, neuroscientists, still haven't found the thought in the brain, right? So, so we're in a, not, not discounting neuroscience in any way, let them do what they need to do, but it's, it's this whole field of awareness, but to, to, um, to put them into the boxes of the relationships, um, yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, you could more tie it to frequencies. If you had to measure brain waves and measure gut waves and heart waves, and then you could look at that from a wave perspective, you'd be able to see some correlation as far as the organ 
uh, emitting that type of frequency, like emotions of guilt and shame and doubt uh, would emit at the lower frequencies from your uh, lower um, chakra centers, right? And emotions of joy, uh, uh, serenity or excitement would come from your heart. And then up at the top, you would have feelings of unity, bliss, you know, uh, this this um, sense of uh, oneness and people experience when they take psychedelics, that would, again, you could measure that on a frequency. So you're using uh, new instruments in an ancient system, right? And, 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 and uh, we think that our little gadgets are so superior uh, and they're useful, especially if you've got a surgery to be done or things like that, but you don't manage your life based on um, modern day science. Excuse me, but I don't, I don't believe so. I love how you challenge the idea that uh, where are thoughts coming from and are they actually coming from the mind or somewhere else? And I think it goes really well with um, the view you expressed before about us as human beings being as antennas and receptors. So is it actually, it also probably helps as well to um, challenge the people idea, is this thought mine and not identifying with any specific idea and thought? Would you like to expand on that? Um, yeah, like, you know, what are thoughts, where did they originate, and uh, why are they useful or not useful? It's, it's, you know, nobody has been able to answer that. In fact, it was the mystic Rumi who said, why do you worry? Don't you know where thoughts come from? And he didn't say where they came from. He just said, don't you know? And you're sitting there, no, I don't know, right? Because then you think about it, and say, well, why did I have that thought? And so when you actually do that in, in some of the Buddhist practices and the, some of the meditation or getting familiar, sit there. I do this practice when I'm deep down into the overthinking part is I start rewinding. And then the brain doesn't, the brain or the, the thought processes don't like this. They don't like you to know what's going on. So I do that. And I say, oh, so I ended up here thinking about why I want to leave my job. I don't have a job to give you an example. How did I get here? Okay, so I was thinking about my daughter and I was thinking about my, and then you realize you're like, how the hell did that happen? Like, how, how did I even, and then you can use thought on thought and all of a sudden you're just laughing your head off going, because you're not trying to process the thought of leaving your job anymore because you realize the futility on the thought, right? So yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't know specifically about that question on uh, thought, but yeah, this is something more specific or general uh, I can answer. I was just uh, inviting you to express uh, how you see that topic in general. That was the main intention. I think you shared quite beautifully uh, using thought on thought and challenging thought and how I see it is uh, just asking questions to the mind and challenging it and and one more thing I was kind of uh, really curious about, because you mentioned a couple of times uh, meditation, and also you just just about now you said uh, that you like to rewind. And my question to you would be, what are your practices to help you ground? Because you, before we were talking about uh, Hara Center and about um, grounding, and what are the practices you use for yourself to ground mm -hmm. yourself? Yeah, and so the, eh? and the feel because you were also linking it to the feeling and sensing. Yeah, so I have many practices, and it depends what I need at a specific mm. time. And with my clients as well, I just had to develop such a wide array. I think because I was probably so messed up. I mean, uh, I'm I, I was a terrible overthinker uh, because even though I didn't, well, I was raised in Australia, so that is the West. But one thing to clarify is that somebody sitting in India or in Nepal or in China doesn't mean they haven't been raised in the West. That way of thinking is all over the world. I mean, you're on Instagram and Facebook, right? Whether you're in... So, so, so the Western way of engagement in life and what we desire and what we want is uh, all across the world, unless you're in Amazon, you don't have Google, right? So, so that's the thing. So, if, if, so for me, the one thing that I return to over and over again if I've become over, I'm out of control, my mind has been hijacked by my thoughts and I'm feeling terrible and all the rest of it, I use my body. So what I do is I shake, dance, and I have a whole routine that I teach clients in order to shake the body out of the mind. 
because basically the body has the, the mind has become uh, in command and it's, it's just leading the the assault on making you feel a certain way when you should be in charge and how you feel and what you think about rather than the other way around or how to think because you can't control every thought that comes through your mind you can try it but it's, it's a pointless exercise but so yeah uh, um, and so reconnecting with the body through the breathing through through the hara is a, uh, a set of practices and the simple one is inhale expand the belly hold for four seconds contract the belly for four hold in the belly for four expand the belly for four so it's a it's a it's a count of four it's a, called a box breath right so you're creating the box so in breath hold it for four and then you know the thing right so you do that uh, in this and then getting in touch with your heart and tuning that up and then awakening that and then i do the third eye uh, using my heart to tune in the third eye and, and I do that practice before my sessions or before uh, anything. And so if I want to create the day as I want it to unfold or be connected to the other realms of existence, not in a, in, in, in a, in a weird way, but other than my thoughts about life, but you know, um, the, the spiritual side of me, the energetic side of me, the um, intuiting side of me, the, the um, imagination side of me, the dreamer in me, all these types of things can, because we are so multifaceted and so multidisciplined and we are stardust. I mean, we have capabilities uh, and, and, um, and knowledges that exceed far beyond what our brains um, in its limited capacity downloads. But if you tune in very carefully and you can listen using a different language because the language of the body is not words words are much later developed so but but the body is so intelligent if you tune in it will tell you the words so i'll look at a person and i'll they'll say how old do you think i am and i'll say 52 and they say how the hell did you do that because uh everybody says i look 40 and i said you do look 40 but then i just let it be and i said that's the number that came up he said i just turned 52 yesterday I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm great at anything here by any means, but where did that come from? Because if I had to look at him and his gray hair and his whatever, oh, because I'm looking with my eyes and my senses and my brain, I'm not going to get it right. Now, it doesn't really matter in the whole context whether I got it right or not. The point is, do we know how to access that other side of us rather than the, the thinking mind, which is wonderful, but it comes later. It's not the primary navigation mechanisms like a gps versus uh i don't know what's the opposition to gps uh, gps is your everything but in the old days you'd have the wind you'd have the stars you'd have uh the sun you'd have all these type of measurements but you'd use them together but now the gps just put it in your car i mean people don't even know how to get home without the gps i've seen that they're like oh i'm sorry this battery's low where are you going going home <laughs> you don't know the direction home they, they forgot the direction home it's, it's terrible. We have this inbuilt intuition where we can be, we know where North is, we know where the stars are without us having to go, oh, let's see what Google stars have to say about it. It's just making us, our muscles are atrophying, our intuition muscles, navigation, uh, sensory, healing, all of it is atrophying to the point where we're totally relied on technology. And we're the ones to blame for that. There will be a price to pay for becoming robots. And we are, that's why we're in business today, right? Because of the overthinking. Yes. I was curious about uh, what will be the price for being a robot? Just curious. Well, there are many prices to pay, but one would be such a shame to use this entire incredible light body, energetic body, quantum body, star body and i'm talking about body i'm talking about energy field right um our ability to heal we'll lose all of that and what will end up happening is that what's happening today people go my life sucks i don't have a job and i don't have my new laptop and i don't have the new shoes like you know that's the price you pay because you don't know anything else about what you are in the true essence of it like your shoes and your facebook it doesn't matter right in the whole scheme of what you are you are the universe you are 
you are everything and every, everything is out there com composed of in the entire known universe, every molecular structure, every element out in the universe is inside of your body. And, and, and the, the quantum universe lies inside of you, but it's not even, you know, we're over-reliant on facts and figures. So that's why I got to tell people all these facts and figures because they need all this rubbish, right? Because we don't, we don't trust, we don't trust, so we need facts. So we can say, I trust the figure. People say, I trust science. I only trust science. It's a funny example that uh, we seek uh, trust and science, uh, faith into the science mm -hmm. and how we measure what is worthy of our attention and not, uh, what, uh, how, what we should be believing and whatnot. On this uh, example, really fascinating uh, how you mentioned it. Yeah, uh, I have to do this because that's what society accepts. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. society, science, um, everything of the day. So people say, I believe in science, but science changes weekly. So which belief did you have? Right? So you shouldn't say, I believe in science. You should say, I believe in the science of the day. Because yesterday, coffee was going to kill you. And today, coffee is great for your liver. And uh, uh, last, last century, uh, you know, ammonium chloride was wonderful for your garden. And now it's killing the rivers and the oceans. Oh, okay. So which science did you believe in that you have all your faith in, right? And that's rubbish. Yeah, another, another question I love to ask is, um, how do you feel about Love Your Stress? The title of the podcast. Is that the title of the podcast? Yes, Love Your Stress. I like it. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's great because it's... Um, Again, love everything, right? love all your, um, not just your stress, your anxieties, your pains, your aches, your, um, it's all created from the ego. That's another whole conversation that we, we, we can have at another time, but your suffering is created by your mind. And if you love it, and if you love your suffering, then there's no reason to solve a problem. And if you don't need to solve a problem, then you can be free. So if there are no problems, then there's no stress. Right. So if you, yeah, so again, stress is a great way of growth and it's, um, it's the only thing that makes you progress in life is stress. Like, I hate this job, right? So then because you're stressed, you're going to get another, but if you say, I love this job, I'm not stressed, you wouldn't progress. So it serves evolution for you to progress. And you say, well, thank God I got stressed because then I could leave that nasty boss and joined Google and now I got, you know, uh, playgrounds and I got uh, parties and I got membership cards you know, because I was stressed. So I'm really glad I'm uh, here. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's useful. I, I agree. Love everything. Love your problems. Love. Yeah. I'm curious, is there any specific uh, self-love practice you would like for, for our listeners to try out or practice as often as they can? Uh, not specifically, no. Uh, I think if you're, if you're aware, um, if you just use that same rational mind to ask the question, mm. uh, rather than affirming self-love or saying self-love, say, what am I other than my thoughts? Because then love will automatically surface or amazement. Because right? amazement is wonder, and wonder has to be love. Because right? who doesn't love to be amazed? Right? So it's a side effect. So, oh, I love this, this, this world that I'm in. Because I didn't know that I am contained of this, that, and the other. And I have all these different elements to myself. And modern-day science doesn't talk about it. It's, well, you know, you have a bunch of blood cells and white blood tissues and uh, cartilage and no, 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 you're so much more than that. So, yeah, I think that you you would also because self-love is uh, one aspect. But what about loving others, right? And loving life, loving uh, everything else. But I agree with you. People generally today give themselves such a hard time. So you actually need people to say you need to love yourself. I, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. You know, uh, because because people give themselves hell and it's unnecessary because they don't know who they are. That's why. 
So it's a good substitute to love yourself and, and, to, and to use a practice as a beginning process. And so everybody meet them at where they are. But getting beyond that, um, why do you need to love yourself? Because you are love. I mean, you live in a splendid universe and you, know, you get beyond that. And, and, and after you, but, but a lot of us come from a lot of baggage. And so, yeah, I don't have a specific practice. Yeah. Well, I think you do. And I really, uh, I would love to point out uh, uh, your answer, how I saw it. What I heard you saying is that the specific practice you would love to uh, recommend is asking uh, curious questions about challenging one owns worldview. Who am I? What I'm doing here? And just asking those questions is a very powerful practice. And so for me, it feels specific enough, inviting curiosity, amazement, love, and everything is kind of just a self product. It's just challenging and using the mind as a tool to actually, yeah. who am I? So I, th I think that's a very beautiful practice. Well, thank you for being such a good listener because you figured out a, a practice. So yeah, it's questioning the worldview, but questioning what am I, uh, how am I even here? Like, I mean, all, all that type of stuff can 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 keep you, yeah, you would love that. So yeah, thank you, it's true, I agree. Yeah, so on, on that note, um, I would love to wrap up the podcast and there are two more questions I would ask, uh, love to ask you. One of them is, uh, is there anyone or any way how you like people to reach out to you? Any specific people who you like to work with or any kind of, um, and what's the way to do that, to reach out to you? Yeah, you can check me out. It's, uh, uh, you can type in Google Rashad Ahmed Zen Coach. Um, and uh, yeah, you, you should be able to find me there or rashadahmedcoaching.com as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so I work with, um, I, I usually interview my clients rather than them interviewing me. I, I choose my clients very selectively because I need to see some kind of synergy and bond. As you know, coaching is very specific. And uh, if we don't align, then we don't align. And so, yeah, it, it is a, a, a dual uh, exchange and agreement. So yeah, get in touch. And yeah, if you, if basically, uh, I work with anything and anyone, uh, not, not specific. Of course, if you've got major mental issues or medical issues then go and see the appropriate people for it but for me it's people that want to thrive in life and want to achieve more um yeah i'm i'm all for that awesome and uh very last question do you have any recommendations who you think would be a worth um good person for me to reach out for the next podcast episode you have any recommendation uh, mm, let me think about that okay yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you with a name. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Richard. Uh, it was really my pleasure to spend this time for you and with you and um, have this chat. Tom's, uh, it was really amazing. Your uh, listening skills are excellent and uh, your observation and summary was really, really good. And, and you made it, uh, uh, made my ideas flow instead of you um, trying to promote your ideas, which was a great interviewer so i think you're an excellent interviewer and i'll be happy to recommend anyone to uh, uh, to be interviewed by you uh, so thank you for your time as well thank you so much Richard, and have a nice day you too